podcast i'm flo lloyd hughes and i am joined tonight on zoom by mr paul finney who is drinking a cup of tea and um yeah keeping keeping isolated yeah 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 no it's actually coffee and i'm isolated because at mum's funeral our daughter brought covid down for university so we all got covid as a double whammy so i don't recommend it please don't get it people it's not very pleasant well, I'm sure um, I can speak for everyone. I wish you well, and you seem to be doing not too badly. So hopefully that Thank won't you keep your spirits down. Um, and I'm also joined by Clive Whittingham from Lawful Words, who is COVID-free, we hope. Yeah, I'm just enjoying having a legitimate reason to avoid Finney. <laughs> there you go, exactly. To isolate away from him. And we also have a special guest, and. Jim, I'm just gonna like call you Music Man. Does that work, Music Man and QPR fan, or do you have a, a better title that you'd like to be used? Uh, yeah, there's various names I've been called down the years on various message boards, but I think we'll stick with yours. That's much better. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Music Man. Music Man, Jim Frailing. Um, so, firstly. Well, we've got a really good guest on today and we're going to mainly focus on Project Big Picture and its impact on the EFL and clubs like QPR. So we're just going to go really briefly, basically, through any other business before we get stuck into that or um, someone from Price of Football joins us uh, as a guest. So firstly, thank you to Chris Dunn for providing the beers and Richard Kirby sponsoring the episode thanks a lot for giving us some small change to keep the podcast going um and also disclaimer whatever point you might listen to this podcast a lot it probably has probably changed in the narrative of project big picture and the narrative of this potential bailout that's coming it's changing so quickly uh, literally by the hour and more information is being leaked by the people, the powers that be every hour. So whatever context we can provide in this moment, we'll try and bring it. Um, so firstly, any other business, uh, new signing, Charlie Kelman from Southend United, 18-year-old striker, three-year deal, I believe. Um, American born in Basildon, played in America, US under-20s team. Uh, Clive looks like a pretty shrewd, smart bit of business from Les. We'll see. We'll see in time, I guess. Hard to judge it at, um, at 18. The thing I like is that even at that young age, he's managed to play a good amount of senior football and score goals. And also in basically a team, a South End team, that's been the worst in the football league for a good two years now. Um, I think South End have won 10 of their last 70 matches going back over two years. So as an 18-year-old, to be able to come into senior men's football, score goals, perform and impress in, in that situation, I think that speaks really well because we've often said that QPR is a tough club to play for and uh, Warburton mentioned something similar with Lyndon Dykes. The thing that impressed him was that he was able to perform in the SPL without playing for one of the better SPL teams. So this it kind of fits into that, but very, very young. Uh, presumably, I mean, we already kind of knew, but presumably it's the end of Ote. Um, but yeah, quite a lot to like about the signing depending on fee, I guess. 
And there's still a couple of loose ends to be settled with Paul Smith uh, and Shadipo with, I guess, loan rumours going on or potential permanent deal rumours going on. Obviously, the the domestic window is open to this Friday. So I don't know if you've got any update on the situation Smith, of other players. Uh, sorry, sorry to say, I'm, I'm sorry to say because I rate him and I know it's going to upset Finney, but I think Paul Smith's time at the club is basically up. Um it's out of contract at the end of the season. Two successive managers haven't really liked him or played him. Um, we've now signed Adoma and Willock, who are, he was already quite far down the pecking order. We've signed two more players and maybe Bon a third to go in front of him. I think at the moment the writing's on the wall. Um, but then the writing was on the wall for Kake three months ago. And now he's got a four-year contract and he's the best thing since sliced bread. So could still turn it round. But I would expect to see him going to Charlton or somewhere else before Friday. I- I think to be fair, I think it is the end for for Paul. I think he's um he's been out on loan and hasn't played regularly for whatever reason, injuries, whatever. It's a real shame because it's I don't know what you, you you guys think, Jim and everything else, but there's something about the fella that you just think if he could only get a run in the team, if he could only get going, there's just something about him. Whether it'll come back to bat his in the arse, I don't think so, because he'll probably end up going League One, League Two. I can't see him going back to Ireland. Um real shame though. Real, real shame. But the, the, the guy from South End really excited me. I think these are the sort of players that we should be signing for years. I mean, fair play to Les and Chris for getting these kind of players in because I would rather have these guys in than anything else because if nothing else, they'll, 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 they'll try their damnedest to make it rather than on the way down, these people on the way up. And he's, he has, has even managed to score on to Saul Campbell. That says everything for me. Yeah, Jim, I was going to say, I mean, I can, couldn't agree more. Um, our guest is in the waiting room, so maybe, Jim, keep it brief. But um, I always, like, these guys rated Paul Smith and I I'm, I'm, will be disappointed if, if he does leave permanently because it felt like he never really got a chance. I think that's fair. I think he gives you a sort of directness and sort of, I think the, the word is verticality that the, the scouts like. He just runs directly at the goal. We don't quite always have enough players that do that. If you think about him alongside someone like Chair, you know, he he's the kind of person that would give a playmaker options. So, uh, yeah, I'm with Paul. I think it's a shame, um, but there's so many options in this position, you can't really argue with it. And, you know, if they think they've done better and he's not going to get the opportunities, then, you know, I hope one day we might see him at championship level again. But, yeah. And I guess if someone's proved themselves at League One, then why not give them that opportunity to play at League One level rather than keep them hanging around for no reason? So it could be a good option for the player as well. Um, so we won't leave our guests waiting any longer. After we chat to Kieran from Price of Football, we will um, pick up on a few other bits and pieces from international break, of which there's not a lot, but um, some other QPR-related bits. But now we're going to be joined by Kieran from Price of Football and we're going to go deep into the issues of Project Big big picture so grab a cup of tea or a glass of wine or a beer for the next section because you're probably going to need it well um thank you so much for joining us um i'm a big fan I've, I've i've got your book so before i'm not i'm not even joking when i say i'm a big fan of yours um i haven't got it behind me but i promise it is on a bookshelf um but yeah thank you thanks a lot for for joining us because i know that you're a man in high demand uh, with everything that's going on and probably doing about 800 interviews a day. Um, and full disclosure, it was Paul Finney who managed to get this 
coup of a of a special guest. So hats off to Finney as well. Um, so lots of QPR fans will be wanting to know how this project big picture will impact them. And as of what at three p.m. the 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 idea in its sort of I guess not entirety, but that specific plan has potentially been thrown out by the Premier League. But that doesn't mean that the idea of it won't continue with with the pockets of it perhaps being expanded further. So I guess, could you give our listeners a a broad, if possible, a kind of explanation of what it is? Um, Yes, absolutely. Uh, Project Big Picture was... um, it was initially described by the people involved as an attempt to deal with fixture congestion. That, that sounds really good, doesn't it? That, that's, uh, that, that's, the, that's how the FA were first introduced to it. Um, some of the owners of the bigger clubs in the Premier League, they know that they can make more money from not spending as much time in the Premier League. Um, Manchester United and Liverpool... If they're at home to Fulham or Burnley or clubs like that nature, it's it's we know what's going to happen in in all probability. It's going to be you, know, you can predict the result. Um, they they can't charge premium prices for hospitality packages or things of that nature. Um, the money is in the Champions League, but you cannot have an expanded Champions League with a twenty club. Premier League and two domestic cup competitions. So let's let's address those issues in turn. Um, can we get rid of one of the domestic cup competitions? If the Carabao Cup never played again, on a scale of one to ten, how disappointed would you be? A, a, a solid three. Solid three. If we took it okay. seriously, it's the only thing we've actually won in our history. So I'd like to try and win it again one day. But I forever dream. <laughs> it's the only thing right. we've won. It's the only thing we've won. Don't take it away. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> it won't be taken away. It's still there for legacy. You know, we, we, we won the Charity Shield in 1910. We That's the only thing we've ever won in terms of big, big, big prizes. So, uh, um, uh, so I, fans, fans aren't that bothered. You, you look at attendances. You look at the fact that people are putting out reserve teams. So, so that's that's one thing. Um, but if we if we reduce the Premier League to, to eighteen, I think ideally they'd like it sixteen. Uh, but reduce the, the the Premier League to eighteen teams, then that cuts four fixtures plus you know probably five fixtures from the uh, from the Carabao Cup. So so now it, it's. Now you've got nine slots that you can fill. How are we going to slot, fill those slots? Well, the, one, one of the proposals, we don't know what's going to happen in 2024, but there is going to be a new form of Champions League in 2024. And it's going to be bigger. And it's going to involve a lot more group games because they deliver in, in terms of TV audiences. More TV audiences, more money for the big clubs. So that's where it was all coming from. Um, that the likes of Manchester United and Liverpool, um, they don't like the fact that the Premier League sells the TV rights to China, to the US, to Malaysia, to Nigeria, to Australia. They sell the whole package. 
they would much rather sell those themselves. So it, when you start to drill down into project big picture, what have we got? Reduction in Premier League clubs, get rid of the Carabao Cup. Um, the, there's sort of a, a sop to the, the, the Premier League in that it's no longer three being relegated, it's two and a bit being relegated. Um, so that that's that's a way of trying to to persuade people, uh, you know, the smaller clubs in the Premier League to go along with it. Parachute payments, pa parachute payments are, are both a necessity and an evil. Um, you can't go from earning a hundred million pounds to seven million without really crashing. In my view, parachute payments are too high. If they were halved, then I think a lot of the problems that we presently have would disappear. But so, but they threatened to get rid of them, and instead they were going to replace them with when you got promoted from the Championship to the Premier League, um, they would take away twenty-five million pounds from the promoted club from the first two seasons it went up, and when they were relegated, they gave them the fifty million pounds. So it's not quite a parachute payment, but it it certainly is pretty close to it. So that was one thing. Um, I think the most important thing as far as EFL clubs were concerned and th this was sort of the, the, the exploitative bit um, a 250 million pound uh, package to be paid out to to championship clubs but when you start to drill into the small print it wasn't an extra 250 million pounds it was an advance so it's the equivalent of a payday loan so, and it was never, but, it, but if, you, if you, you look at the way that uh, the people that supporting it have been saying, it's, it's, it's free money. And uh, I, I think that that was quite duplicitous. Um, and 25% of future TV money, which is great. I, I'm, I'm fully in favour of far better distribution. So th there were some really progressive things, but the more you read the report, and, and I've been lucky or unlucky to have been sent the report and have gone through every line, every page and so on. You are getting 25%, not of all of the TV money generated by Premier League clubs for Premier League matches. You're getting 25% of the deals that have been sold by the Premier League. But each club could now sell eight matches itself. So if you're Liverpool, who do you think are going to be the eight home fixtures that you're going to try to sell yourself? Is it going to be Burnley, Palace, Brighton, uh, Leicester? Do you think it's going to be those? Yeah, we all know what the answers are going to be. So um, that would have left the Premier League to sell Fulham versus Burnley, Brighton versus Leicester, Newcastle you know, versus Fulham and so on. And the price you're going to get for those matches is is going to be rubbish. So you're going. To, it wasn't being sold like that. It's the, the, I, I've seen the spreadsheets they've produced, and they say, "Oh yeah, loads more money. You're going to get twenty five percent of it." And I don't know whether you've ever seen the Simpsons episode um, when when they've got the monorail and they sold this you know monorail coming to Springfield. Yeah, it's fantastic. My, my favorite um, Simpsons episode of all time. So yeah, absolutely well, classic. Right. Absolute classic. You've got my book as well. You know, we're, we're, we're bonded. Um, so, so it was, 
it was not quite as good as it was set out to be. Now, let, let me also put this to you. There, there, was, there was lots of lots of things thrown in to try to get support. Would we as fans be pleased if away ticket prices were capped at twenty pounds? Yeah, we would. No, no doubt, no doubt about it. So that was a little sop, and there was talks about subsidised transport to, to matches. I'm going. Does this mean that that Rick Parry is going to send me forty five p a mile every time I go on away match? So you know, you go, actually, no, no, this is going to be on you know the official, the the official uh, coaches with 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 the bobble hats. Now, I'm, I'm not critical of people in bobble hats. I've been known to wear one myself on occasion, but you know what I mean. So it's not, so some of these things were being over egg. Um, and there was also talk of a 100 million pound gift to the FA. And you go, why well, isn't that fantastic? But let, let's, let's look at it the other way. Presently, the FA has what's referred to as a golden share. And it, that means it can veto changes in promotion and relegation. It can veto uh, who can vote, uh, who's got voting powers in the Premier League and so on. If, if we'd seen that the Qatari government had offered 100 million pounds to somebody who was voting on where the 2022 World Cup was being held, how would you describe that 100 million pounds? Would you describe that as a gift? It was a French air defence contract, wasn't it? <laughs> I couldn't possibly say. So, so can, can you see, it, it, it just doesn't look very good, certain aspects, of, which is a shame because better distribution of money, reducing the gap between the Premier League and the Championship, um, yeah, those are good. The reduction in the size of the Premier League from 20 to 18 teams, I'm, I'm a Brighton fan. So therefore, you know, what, what's my objective every season? It's to avoid relegation. Reducing the Premier League is going to increase the chances of relegation. So yeah, you, you're not, you're not going to be in favour. That's perfectly natural. I, I also know the way that football is moving. It, it is going to be an 18-team Premier League. It's just a case of when and, and when we find out. So, so that's where we are. Um, the the additional money that the the people behind this were claiming would be picked up by clubs in the Championship, by you guys at QPR, League One and League Two, that looked very attractive, very seductive. It was based on assumptions, which to me are fundamentally flawed. Was it not just the, the case, Kieran, that Quite a few of these clubs are really desperate right now. They've been mismanaged, paying multiple percentage of their wages on turnover, and they're, they're desperate for any money now. Because I couldn't believe how many EFL clubs were coming out in favour of it. Because like you say, if you give the top six voting rights, they're just going to vote to sell their own television deals. And then pretty soon the EFL is going to be left with 25% of nothing, right? So I agree. I just I couldn't believe so many were in favour. Is it just because they're that desperate for so, just something now? Um, if, if somebody offers you free money, you, you're going to take it. But also, it, I, I think, I think there, there are clubs in genuine, genuine crisis, and there's a lot of resentment towards the Premier League and things of that nature. If you are drowning and somebody offers to throw you a life belt, 
you're going to take the life belt. If they say just before they throw you at that life belt, oh, by the way, um, I'm, uh, I'll do this on one condition. I'll take your house and I'll take your car and I'll take your, take your dog and your wife and your children as well. Well, if the alternative is drowning, you just hand across the keys. So um, I, I suspect some clubs did it because out of necessity. Some clubs did it out of resentment uh, towards the Premier League, of which there is quite a lot. Um, if, if you're the owner of Scunthorpe or Barrow, how the voting system in the Premier League is organised, do you honestly give a toss? Because you ain't, you, you're never going to be there. So if, if this is a chance for money, you, you take it. Um, so I can, I can understand why the vote went the way it was. And remember the person who, there was a meeting of EFL um, chairman last night. Um, the presentation to them came from the people behind Project Big Picture. There, there wasn't an alternative. Remember the, the EFL uh, chief executive resigned on Monday. The alternative offer of a £375 million investment into the EFL for a 20% stake, that was rejected on Friday. Um, the recommendations that the EFL should have independent directors to, to monitor, um, that was rejected by the EFL board. Yeah, so what we've got is, is a fairly autocratic system. Yeah, there, there, there is a concentration of power in, in the EFL. Um, and, and therefore, if, if the people behind Project Big, Big Picture are doing the presentation, that, then you're not gonna, you, it's going to look slick. Yeah, it's, it's the equivalent of a timeshare presentation. It looks, it looks almost too good to be true. It's free money. With what happened today with the Premier League clubs effectively saying they don't want this, but they're opening up conversations for something else. What do you think is likely to be that something else? They've sort of got what they wanted, which has got people talking, created a bit of a stir and created a desire for it as well amongst EFL clubs. So what's next now that it won't be exactly this? What do you think will be taken forward and what do you think will be thrown out? Um, I, I think... I think the positives is that um, a, a fairer distribution of monies within English football could go ahead. There will be some resistance. Now, how that is funded, because you, you cannot have a system where everybody wins. You, you, know, you, you cannot, you, you, if you've got a cake, it's how you're going to cut up that cake that matters. Uh, the cake's not going to get necessarily bigger. Um, so I think the, the Premier League potentially will give up some money. Now, that could be through a reduction in size from 20 to 18. I, I genuinely think that that is going, going to be uh, is pretty much a fait accompli at some point in time. So that effectively brings another £200 million to the EFL table. Uh, a reduction in parachute payments. That means that the incentive to try to match those clubs with parachute payments from clubs such as QPR, Reading, Derby, and so on, that incentive is less because you're not trying to maintain that arms race in terms of wages. So that would be a potential positive as well. Um, the uh, the B teams by stealth. I I don't know whether you, another one of the proposals is to have uh, up to 15 players on loan 
from each Premier League club and up to four players at any one club. So, you know, you, you could end up being Chelsea B or you know, quite a bit of Chelsea B. Um, clubs in Leagues 1 and 2 will be allowed to no longer have academies. So, again, moving players from the Premier League for them to be nurtured. Um, I think things like that could find favour uh, because people say, well, you know, we... We can see the benefits in doing so. It just feels like the game moving away from clubs and people like us. Like every one of those ideas sounds horrendous to me, but you know, I can. Yeah, I just. Well, well, if, if you take a look at the reaction, um, it, it it takes something spectacular. Where you know, I, I I teach at the University of Liverpool. Um, I can assure you that uh, Scousers hate Manchester United, Manchester United hate Scousers. Um, so the fact that the fan groups of Liverpool, Manchester United and Manchester City all came together, and then you've got Chelsea, Arsenal and Spurs fan groups all coming together to all say the same thing, shows that this is being done for the benefit of club owners and fans are a secondary consideration. I think the Football Supporters Association described it as a sugar-coated cyanide pill. And for the competition, that is the case. Um, we, will, we will be going forwards to some positives. I think uh, the, the gap between the bottom of the Premier League and the Championship will be reduced. And that's actually quite good in many ways. But the gap between the bottom of the Premier League and the top of the Premier League is just going to go incredibly huge. Just, just going back a wee bit there, what was this other deal that was put on the table that they, was dismissed out of hand without telling the other people involved in the leagues? Was it, was it a good deal? Was it a bad deal? Because there's very little said about it. Um, yeah, it, it seems to have been swept under the carpet. Um, this was from a Texas-based private equity company who said, we will take a 20% investment um, in the championship for £375 million. And we will take over the marketing, the sale of broadcasting rights, the monetization of the game. What, what a private equity company normally does is it, is it comes in, it tries to run a business or, or change a business for, for a period of you know, up to five years and then sells. So it, it wasn't doing it for the benefit of the uh, of, of the clubs in, in the EFL, but they, they could have benefited as a result because if this private equity company had been successful, it, the only way it could have been successful is if the EFL became more successful. We've seen similar investments in uh, the, Aviva, the Aviva Premiership. I think the Six Nations uh, rugby, they're moving towards it. If you take a look at uh, Italy uh, in Serie A, uh, there's a similar relationship. I, I'm, I'm always cautious about uh, uh, people offering money for, for, for stakes. But yeah, Manchester City, uh, they've sold 10% of, of the club for a similar, to a similar organisation. Um, if, if you sell a minority stake, then provided you've got a system of checks and balances, you, you can still control, control the game. So it, it, it's unknown as to why it was rejected. It's a model, actually, that has worked in Formula One and in... Um, music with private equity. I'm, it's not always 
you know, the best thing long uh, term. But like you say, in rugby, they're going through the changes doing that. And I've worked a bit in rugby since my time at Wasps when I, when I worked QPR as well. And, you know, they're adjusting to that now. Um, and I think the, the, basically private equity run out of a few places to go. So they're investing into music and they're investing into sport and trying to take not the typical private equity model when they come to sport and do a longer term thing. So the jury's still out about whether it would be any good, but it's definitely a model that should be considered because the Football League, especially right now with coronavirus, has got a one-off problem. It's got structural issues in the long run, yeah. but there is definitely a, a one-off problem that we're facing right now. And like you said, if you're drowning, you'll grab onto anything. And that is definitely why there is unanimity, seemingly, apart from Andy Holt and uh, Arrington, about those uh, proposals. Albeit, I think it's claimed unanimity from a few sources. I think other people haven't come out yet and are seeing, A, the detail, and B, which way the wind's blowing a little bit. So I wouldn't say it's a, a fait accompli yet. Is that, would you agree with that, Kieran? Yeah, yeah. Um, and also, we haven't heard the end of this. Given that they, I, I, I was looking at version 18 of the proposals this morning. So the idea that this has just come as a result of COVID, um, this has been discussed for a significant period of time. Um, it will not go away. Uh, fo football is in for change. I absolutely agree that there are structural changes required um, in the EFL. Uh, to to prevent the, the game from destroying itself, uh, but it, it it does not. The EFL clubs do not want scrutiny, and and that's part of the problem. Um, and I, I don't think owners can be trusted because you know, I, I've I've been to Berry Town Hall uh, last summer on a few occasions to to attend meetings there, and you, you were attending a funeral. You know, and and, it, and it, it, to non-football people, it sounds melodramatic, but, but you know how it would feel. You, you, I, I, talk, I talk to friends who, are, who, who, are, who have become very, who were very friends, or who have become friends, um, and uh, they say, you've got no idea what it's like every Saturday afternoon. Well, I think we're probably discovering it to a certain extent now. Think about it. Every Saturday afternoon at three o'clock, you go, well, what? what you, you, what I'm going to do? I, I, I watch a bit of Sky Sports news and I see the results coming in. And, and he said, "I have to walk out because that should be us. We should be celebrating or commiserating." Or, but it, it is, it is a terrible experience to go through. It's happened to Macclesfield Town, who who have been airbrushed out of football history, well, it's quite scandalously. Um, you know, and, and you know, whenever do you think you'd be saying, "Isn't it? Isn't it great that Robbie Savage is doing something?" Yeah, these are words you don't expect to hear from football fans. Um, so, so that's that's the position we're in. Does the rejection the... of the private equity thing, um, basically it seems they rejected that idea without really putting it to the clubs to push on with this idea, which I don't think anyone on this podcast is particularly in favour. What's the position or does this call into question the position of Rick Parry in all of this? Because this seems like somebody who's sort of working on both sides of this deal as the long-term former chief executive of Liverpool, now chief executive of the Football League, coming, you know, with Liverpool's glorious uh, offer of a bailout with all sorts of strings attached. It just feels a bit sort of fox in henhouse to me, or am I being really, really harsh on that? Um, I, I, I can understand that viewpoint. Uh, it, it, I mean, it's, we... we uh, Greg Clark has 
has been sort of putting out that uh, the, 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 the big clubs were encouraged by Rick Parry to uh, resign from the Premier League. Now, I don't know what is true and what is not true. Uh, my, my experience of football executives is, uh, until I see it in writing and it's been approved by a lawyer, I, I take it with a large dose of salt. So there is so much politics in, in football administration that I, I don't know what to believe. It, it, it doesn't look, it, if that is true, I don't think it reflects very well. What about the immediate side of things? Obviously, in the space of four days, a public plan has emerged and it's sort of disappeared again. But what about the here and now of the financial implications of not having fans and the fact that they're probably not going to come in again until April? Like, what are the short term solutions beyond waiting till the next Premier League right still and however many years for these things to kind of come into play? Right. Well, we, we've seen effectively the Premier League have said an immediate £50 million bailout for League One and Two. So I think that issue has been dealt with for the next few months. The, the championship is more complex because you do have seven or eight clubs in receipt of parachute payments. Um, I, I think the, the, the Premier League was really stupid when the EFL asked for Fulham's parachute payments for this season of 34 million. You know, I think that they, they could have learnt, they could have earned a lot of goodwill. Um, the, the championship is complicated, and, and the reason for that is that there is money flowing into the championship um, from the Premier League. Okay, parachute payments, complicated. I, I think they're far too high. Um, we, we've seen a lot of players signed. So, so you know, Brentford, 28 million for, for Ollie Watkins. We've seen Nathan Ake, 45 million. We've seen Norwich, Selica, you know, Godfrey and, and another player. So some individual clubs in the championship have actually already had a lot of money from the Premier League. Um, we've got some incredibly wealthy owners of clubs in the uh, in, in the Championship who are actually wealthier than the owners, some of the owners in, in the Premier League. So I think that is messy. If they need cash now, I, I think the Premier League, if it's got any sense, right, we will give you a loan. We'll sort out the details a bit later. And then I think you've got the clubs such as QPR who are trying to run an even keel. Um, I was on a Millwall podcast a couple of hours ago, um, and uh, you know Millwall are reliant upon a shareholder who is not a billionaire, but who is putting in a million pounds a month and so on. Uh, so, so that's 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 where we are. I think the championship is is complicated, um, but QPR, Luton, Millwall—you know—I think clubs who are Rotherham clubs who are bottom six, bottom eight in terms of finances, they, they are in urgent need of cash support, perhaps just as much as the clubs in League One and Two. The weird thing is that we, we got we got the money for Eze, which kind of everyone was saying like, oh, spend on a striker, do this, do that, do the other. We got 16 million for him. And they kept us going to a certain degree. And it just seems a kick of the teeth and typical of QPR. We don't, you know, we wasted all that money in the Premier League that got us relegated twice. And now we're in desperate need of money. And we're kind of being, we're having a gun held to our head as usual. And, and I do worry how it's going to affect us and how we can go forward. But what worried me more than anything was this thing as well of the, whoever, you know, the team that from the playoff will have to play a team, the bottom third team in the Premier League as mm -hmm. well. 
which it, it, no matter how you look at it, a team that finished third from the playoff in the, in the in the Premier League is going to be so much better off than any club in the Championship mm. the ones that win it. So it's it is definitely loaded again. So is there a horrible? There's a bit of me as well that's sort of looking at this thing. Is there a bit of franchise going on here as well, Kieran? Yeah, I, I I think in an ideal world, the Premier League clubs would like one team to be relegated. Um, and that team is in a playoff against the, the champions of the championship, a bit like you have in Super League, in, in Rugby League. Yeah, that, that, that they that, uh, everybody would love a closed shop. Under FIFA regulations, you've got to have relegation, by the way. Uh, the MLS is a special dispensation. So, uh, yeah, we, we could be moving to... Uh, it, would, it would make franchises feasible in the Premier League because you've got certainty of cash flows, which you don't have at present because you, you can end up like Sunderland and go straight through from the Premier League to League One and, and still be in League One when the, when the parachute payments run out. And, and that, that's not, that wouldn't be appealing to, to uh, franchise owners. Yeah, Kieran, I know you've got you've got so many um, so many media media asks of you. So we we really appreciate you giving us your time tonight, and um, I'm sure you're heading off for another podcast or another. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but yeah, thanks so much, and um, make sure you follow Price of Football on Twitter, listen to their podcast, and buy Kieran's book. I can I can uh, testament to its some um, high quality and um, yeah, all the football finance kind of ins and outs you need are in there. But yeah, thank you so much for, for giving us your time tonight. Thank you, Kieran. Well, well, cheers, Kieran. Th- 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 thank you very much for the invite and, and I hope things just turn around for us all. There, there's bigger issues to deal with in football at present. Um, and I'm as a Brighton fan, I'm sorry it didn't work out with Berem Kayal and Toma Hemed last season because they're both really good players for us. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for your solidarity and your words of sympathy. <laughs> yeah. Thank you for that. Okay. Cheers, team. Cheers, Kieran. Now, that was amazing. I think I've learned more. Macca. What's that, mate? <laughs> yeah. Makes up for yeah. Jan Lacker. Lacker. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, Flo, are you all right there? I think we found like a future future husband for you there. Was... <laughs> no, I am a big fan. I, I did. T- I said on the WhatsApp group, I'm a fan girl. So I warned you. I warned you. So you know. Um... What the news didn't say, though. I mean, the fact that he's went it through. There's so many things because there's a lot of people. I'm surprised. I mean, I wasn't surprised that Derby were back in it because Derby will back anything, and um, yeah, they are what they are. And it's just, it just, well, the way Kieran described it, it's just horrible. And it's, this, this won't go away, will it? I mean, Jimmy. I also think, off. though, that I think you have to take a lot of the stuff about who's supporting it with a pinch of salt because, you know, I've, I, throughout the last sort of 24 hours, I've seen actual chairmen of clubs like out each other on Twitter saying, why are you lying? I never said I liked it in the meeting, blah, blah, blah. So people are, you know, it's all like like Kieran said. It's all kind of smoke and mirrors, and I don't. I think you got to take a lot of what people say with a pinch of salt. And I would believe those that don't like it more than anyone who says that they sort of half like it more than anything. Because I think, yeah, there's lots. There's lots of 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 carrot to to entice clubs, but there's so much that needs to be worked out. But they, they've got what they wanted in that sense because they've got people talking and they've got people wanting the money. Uh, and and that's what's 
I guess going to be interesting going forward is you know what will what will come of this and and those talks about super leagues and whatever are only going to get louder and louder it's it is interesting but you know what though it's so depressing because they're using the the, the whole covid thing as a as, as a cloak to just throw the the greed into the whole thing and i find that quite disgusting to be honest with you because they're not trying to help anyone. They're just trying to make themselves richer and richer and richer. But it's, it's interesting what Kieran said about the fans groups of the, the big six clubs coming together because, let's face it, fans don't have much sway in this game. But any sway we do have, that, that gives me some hope that this, the game isn't lost. Yeah, what worries me, though, is that they're not the ones with the power. You know, they are, yes, collective and loud and important. But, you know, beyond having us, you know, meetings with clubs... Yeah, a few times a year and other things like they don't actually have enough power really and the goal of this whole thing is to move to a sort of Americanized model where owners make money and most owners in football below the Premier League do not make any money it's a way to lose money really quickly so if they want the end result of making money they're gonna have to kick some people out or change the way they behave. And this is kind of how they're going to try and do that. But that's why I think that if they have their way, they won't care about the fans. You know, maybe Liverpool will because they like to pretend like they do and it's all part of their kind of brand. But they'll find a way, you know, even their fans in the past have talked about their disappointment with the way that, you know, too much of the stadium is now sold to corporate and things like that. So... I just don't think the fans have enough power to have a decision on this. And now you live in hope that your club makes the right decision when it comes down to it. And that's the scary thing is that for a lot of owners, if you've pumped, you know, 10 million quid into a football club that you own in the last five years, you like, you need a solution to this. And so you're going to vote with that in mind. And that's, I think, which is worrying because so many clubs are bound to these sort of custodians and grant givers who just pump money in. They, they need to think about that as well. And I think that's what's worrying is that that will be, be probably front in a lot of their minds. And that's why we see in the past so many clubs going to the wall is because, you know, you can only do that for so long and they don't necessarily actually care about the community or the, or the club. So I don't know. That's what worries me is... You know, will, will there ever be a perfect solution? Well, not really when people want money and power, you know? There's an awful lot to unpick in it, um, in, both in the proposal and everything we've just discussed. But um, I think just to pick up on a couple of points that have been made here, um, Clive is absolutely right to say it all matters for nothing if the voting power is with the long-standing members of the Premier League who basically would run the game because they might give you this deal and it might be as good as they're saying and it might not be. But sure as hell, two or three years down the line, they'll go, oh, we could do with a bit more, actually. I think we'll take that. And you've only got to look at their past actions, which, yeah, in the last, I think it was 12 months ago, um, the Premier League's already changed the distribution of TV money because the overseas TV money used to be equally distributed between clubs. But as that's grown, so the domestic rights always used to be way bigger. But as the overseas money's come up and actually now just is just above uh, the domestic rights, oh, lo and behold, the big six clubs want a bigger share of that. And they've got it. They've had it in the last 12 months. So I think 
you, know, you judge them on their actions about what they do. Uh, Flo, you made a really interesting point as well about the Americanization model or which American model you want. Well, look at the two clubs proposing it. Uh, the Glazers, as part of the NFL, actually, it, the NFL is a bunch of billionaires running around being communists. Um, their business model is actually much more. And you, sorry, you called me the music man earlier, but I worked with the NFL from you know 2005 till 2017 at Wembley. Um, their model is billionaires being communists because their their revenues are distributed much more centrally, even more than the old football league model, which used to share gate money. So the vast majority, and the reason we have, by the way, club seats in stadia is that uplift over a regular ticket was what they got to keep locally. So every stadium in America started doing it. And then the idea came here at Wembley and at Arsenal and everywhere else, because that was the only bit they were allowed to keep was above the ticket money. So the NFL, the Glazers should know better. The Glazers should know that actually, if you if you behave as a, a group of 32, you will all be better in the long run and the cake will grow and you'll do better. But arguably, you know, the baseball model is slightly different where there's a bit of a salary tax on things. But the, the biggest irony of all this is it's coming from American clubs and they behave in a much more communist sort of distribution of wealth way than we do here. You know, and these proposals... Think it's, do you think gone. it's impossible, though, because... Because the Premier League was created in the first place, it's impossible now to ever have anything that will be remotely fair because you only get something like the model in the US because it's a closed league, because it's a closed shop. There's no promotion relegation. Therefore, you can have equality because you've got drafts and you've got the supply chain. But yeah. essentially, we can never have that here because the pyramid isn't treated as such or they want to turn the pyramid into that but won't necessarily bring... The rest of what comes with it which would be completely equal you know however you want you would distribute it but it's known impossible now to say right we want four tiers and we want them all to be treated equally because they're not equal products and i guess it's like you know the americans are coming from a place where they know that they can maximize what they have but like you say they in their experience actually they come from a place where they're probably pissed off because they're not getting what they want in america you know yeah, they, I mean, they hate relegation. I, 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 you know, talked to a few people about it and, and particularly when I worked with the Jaguars also in Fulham, you know, the concept of relegation to them was just anathema. They hated it as, a, as an NFL owner. Um, and I rather famously, erroneously, in our little circle of sports industries, described relegation as it can be quite a cathartic good thing for a club to do because you can go down, refine your identity, come back stronger if you build it in the right way. I remember the the Jaguars hierarchy looking at me like, what the hell is this guy on? Relegation's a terrible thing, you idiot. You know, and I was, they, they, my point sailed way beyond. I mean, it was the worst, one of the worst things. It's up there with Clive and Warburton and overdrafts, but it just didn't work as a comment to people. Um, but yeah, they hate it. They absolutely, and the, the other interesting with it is have a, have a bit of a historical understanding of all this because um, A, the Premier League was meant to be 18 teams in the first place um, when it was set up. B, the original playoffs did involve a team from the Premier League playing off against the championship team. One of the reasons they stopped it was, I think it was Sunderland and Chelsea or someone else in Chelsea, and there was massive crowd violence because so much was at stake. And I think Chelsea lost and it all kicked off and it went really horrible. And some of the worst nights of crowd violence we've had in the UK have been playoff nights, like the, the Millwall game that kicked off massively. I think it was against Birmingham. So, you know, you've got to be careful with how you structure these things. And they won't have any understanding of that. But 
you know, that was one of the reasons the playoff structure changed was because of that night and the police basically went nuts. But the, the biggest sadness historically is that the FA were an enabler for the Premier League being created and totally fluffed their lines at a key point and allowed the clubs to start running. And as an ex-FA employee, you just look at that and go, so much of what is wrong with the game is that the fact that the people in charge at the FA at that point failed to get the things that they needed, like an 18-team Premier League, like you know better redistribution of wealth for the rest of the game. And they just saw it as finally we get to screw over the Football League who'd been their historical rivals. And it was at that point that, you know, the game lost control. And ever since that's happened, there's been this dynamic where the only people that can fix this are the government. So that's <laughs> a big ask. I mean, you know, you look at that and you say, oh, really? And is that their priority right now? And is that the kind of, you know, they're, what, are they likely to do this? But since Mellor's task force, you know, we have needed a proper independent regulator of football because the FA has proven it can't function like that. And the only interesting thing to come out of this whole thing is the fact that um, former chairman of the FA, uh, David Bernstein, who also used to be at Man City years ago and, and has got, he was there when they really were poor and has got a good understanding of clubs. And he, he, were, he was on the Wembley board when I worked there. He's a decent bloke who understands things. He's come up with some other FA and people about plans for an independent regulator. And it's made its way into some party manifestos down the years. But basically, I think in our heart of hearts, we all know the structure of football is a bit screwed. And actually, 20 years ago, I'd have said, no, don't have an independent regulator. Now we absolutely need it. And I think it's the only way you're going to solve this stuff and sort out the structural issues in football. And particularly if you can divorce this kind of covid moment where the clubs need bailing out from actually what needs to happen but unfortunately it's only in a crisis that people start talking about this stuff so yeah we have an inglorious history as qpr in this because we voted for the premier league um that went really well for us didn't it but yeah there's no doubt we need a hey, we were top we no were doubt. top london club once mate don't forget that do not forget that. <laughs> we voted yeah, we voted but, for yeah. ffp as well and then got the biggest fine ever levied in world sport out of <laughs> We, it's not. Uh, I think the um, we're not actual, great on governance. The, yeah, we're not great. Are we? The weird, um, the voting structure they're trying to get rid of is what protects us against it. You've seen it today because obviously Crystal Palace are not going to vote for less of a say and less money and fewer places in the Premier League. So actually, the voting structure they're trying to get rid of protects us against stuff like this, which is why they're trying to get rid of it. Which is why you shouldn't. And I was just, I was surprised that as many EFL chairmen seem to be backing it, that just struck me as so many EFL clubs have been run so badly for so long. And now this pandemic has come along that they are willing to just, they must know that this is a shit deal. And within five years, it's going to cause mega difficulties for them. But they've been run so badly for so long. And now this pandemic has happened that they are willing to just grab on to whatever scraps have been thrown from the table and give up all of their long-term, because I just think it would be a disaster. I mean, what do these top six want? They want more European games, less domestic games. They want a smaller Premier League, less relegation, bigger share of TV money. They want to uh, sell their own television rights. They want to play games abroad. They don't want to play the League Cup. All of this is bad for us. And as soon as you give them their vote, if you, as soon as you put the voting power just with those six clubs, all of this comes roaring down the track really, really quickly. And I mean, you only Mel Morris, the Derby chairman, going on the radio to support it. Well, has there been a club as shambolically run as just chucking good money after bad over the past four or five years and coming up with every 
loophole around FFP so they can spend more money and getting a bookie to buy them Wayne Rooney and all of this. For him to come out and say, oh, yeah, we're absolutely desperate for a bailout. I mean, fuck off, Mel. Like, that's, that, that exa- just... that's exactly the, the, the terrifying thing is that you don't get a say because there's a bloke who's feeling pissed off and upset because all the money he threw down the drain is coming back to haunt him. And that's what, and this is, is egos. It's people who bought toys because they were bored and had loads of money who are now like, oh, please help me. I'm, I'm poor. It's like, you know what, actually, you know, you could have, you could have been smart about what you did. And people are, People have paid the price. People are paying the price in communities as fans. We've talked about before and will continue to because of those actions. And that's what's so frustrating. But I'm hopeful that what you said, Clive, about voting and the fact that it got thrown out today, sort of, by Premier League clubs, is that any plan moving forward will have to have all of the Premier League clubs involved and therefore that whole vote process should be retained because they're not going to vote for something that doesn't give them the power if that makes they should sense. take it I've, I've heard loads of things particularly from rick parry and i brought it up in the interview i think this is really dodgy this rick parry thing having the former chief executive of liverpool working with liverpool and apparently they've been working on it for years even before he even got the job yeah, and even before he presented COVID it as part everything. of his job interview there's, and things like yeah, that there's been that just seems really dodgy having having that guy um, in two camps. And, you know, when they're talking about, oh, uh, I think we can trust the big clubs on this. I haven't uh, heard anything suspicious so far. I think their motives are genuine. Well, take it back to them and say, okay, we'll do everything, but you're not having the voting rights uh, thing and see how keen they are to do it then. Because this is all about the voting rights so that they can then push through a load of shit very quickly after this. That's what it's all about. Take it back to them and say, we'll do your plan, but uh, we're keeping the voting rights at one club, one vote um, and and see how keen they are there. When you've got the chief exec of the Football League, who's meant to represent us, saying, why should Huddersfield have the same vote as Manchester United? I just, that's that's like immediate sackable offence, isn't it? You're, you're meant to be on our side, mate. You're the chief exec of the Football League. You should be saying Huddersfield should have an equal say as Manchester United, not wider Huddersfield to get an equal say to Manchester. I couldn't believe that quote. I just like I'm just slipped can I, into can a parallel. I, can, can I play devil's advocate against that though, Clive? Yeah, go on. I, I do I do believe you've got to look at his role in this. And I think that's a really fair point. But I, I'd say three things to, to counter that. Firstly, um he was chief executive of the Premier League and he was chief executive of Liverpool. The the current owners weren't there when he was involved. And and you know they may as well be you know different families now. Secondly, um he it, it does depend who leaked this and the devil is in the detail about what he said about resigning from you know the Premier League to join the Football League and whether that's true or not, um, because that, that will tell you what his role in it is. But if you look at the ultimate thing now, you, I, and I saw this argument on Twitter and I can't remember who it was from, but you could say, look, he, he worked with the clubs to create something else. It changed the agenda. It was always going to come out. It has now come out. And now actually people are realistically talking about a bailout for the Football League that wasn't going to happen and a change in the structure and redistribution of Premier League money that should happen. So I think you could make the counterpoint to say that overall the net effect of this could be good. Whether that was by his design or not and what his agency role in it was, I think is merits further discussion. But you could argue that the end point maybe justifies some of the means. I've missed our late nights in the pub, Jim. 
<laughs> the thing is, you can, you can see this couple of years ago, couldn't you? When they when they handed over the football league trophy to the other twenty threes, and there wasn't much yeah. of a fight back on that. And you can see where they they've kind of engineered the lines to see how far they could push things. And I was surprised how many clubs accepted that without actually throwing that out of hand because that's that's right. killed that trophy. And you can actually also, see. Sorry. I'd add to your point, which was related to that, the EPPP stuff, where we'd never have got the money for Sterling now under that system. And now these new um, rules are coming through saying League One and League Two clubs shouldn't have an academy. You're like, uh, that's just giving you a monopoly, guys, which you've already got in youth football, you know. And it, it, it the, the, the devil is in the detail on this. There's some really great stuff, you know, like the, the safe standing 20s plenty campaign. Well, well done the FSA because that's got that's been noticed. You know, you've been on this for five, ten years, and they've actually listened, and it's now in their proposals. And to me now, that just means it's a matter of time before it actually happens. Um, but you look look at them on their track record, and their track record says we want bigger pieces of the pie. Recently, we want them to monopolise younger players. You can't then turn around and go trust us. You know, it's just it's cobblers, which is why ultimately you've got to have independent regulation. It's the the FA is not structured to do it. I've seen it from the inside. I've seen it from the outside. It can't vote to save itself half the time with the things that it chooses. So it's hopelessly compromised. You know, I was there for a long time when Martin Glenn was there and he, he made stuff work by getting on with the Premier League and not having fights. Other people who stood up for them were fairly quickly out of a role. You know, the FA isn't arguably fit for purpose in terms of governance anymore. The Football League certainly isn't. And the Premier League um, will only vote for what suits them. So take all of that away and actually legislate on stuff. And, you know, there is a, the only hope is that we're in such except, exceptional times that the government might actually do something and might turn around and go, you've got to sort out the championship better than you're doing, guys. And it was in their manifesto, albeit that means very little, but there wasn't a, a talk of an independent regulator. And I just think the time has come for that. You know, let's sort the bailout out. And, and we as fans should probably be lobbying for that because that's the only way that football's actually going to get to a point where people recognise it's more than a business. It, it's it culturally important to this country, and we might end up some way towards the German model where clubs are, have got specific legislation around them and have to have, be majority owned by the fans. You know, and that's that's ultimately the sort of thing that we'd want as fans, I think. But did, did this government at the, at the Queen's speech put through something along the lines of uh, board representation for fans in boardrooms and but it, it was never really picked up upon or, or followed through. What, or did I dream that? I think it was in the wasn't that in the Labour manifesto? I can't remember if it was in the Queen's speech or not. But I mean, it, it, there was certainly a manifesto commitment to looking at a regulator. Funny. Yeah, I think my you know with me COVID brain, I might have got that wrong. But I remember there was something talked about it. I mean, judging by the way Boris Johnson plays football and that clip where he tackles the. Uh, the man in the, the game. I don't think he's a football fan. With a rugby so. tackle, yeah. yeah. Um, I think we could end up with Michael Grove being the saviour of football. There's irony for you. Who knows? The, the EP3 <laughs> thing, which is hugely damaging, as we've said, we wouldn't have got the Sterling money and the B teams in the Football League trophy, which again is hugely damaging. They were both forced through basically on a, um, a threat of withdrawing money, I believe. Oh, that's a good um, point. They basically yeah. force that through and it feels like they're trying to do that again. Like you guys are desperate for money. Here's some money, but it's coming with all kinds of strings. I think I said on this podcast about eight weeks ago when 
people talking about a Premier League bailout. I was like, you just imagine the strings that are going to come attached to this. And I think, was it Churchill? Is it his quote? The uh, never waste a good crisis. It's like, right, there's a crisis here. Uh, you can have some money, but also here's 30 things we want. 25 of them are horrendous, but, you know, five of them you might quite like. Never thought I'd see a day that Churchill be quoted on the QPR podcast. It was Churchill. That is Churchill quote, isn't it? I'll be. I feel stupid. I have if no not. idea. Look it up. You're talking it, to the wrong person on that one. Um, but the the well, scary thing is, though, I do wonder how we will come out of this because we're finally putting our house in order. This is what worries me. After all those years of wasting money and doing, we're now doing the right thing, and I just worry that we're going to panic and. And maybe try and go back to the old way, or it might just be in a, a drama. Personally. Oh no! I, I mean, Jim we, might we disagree with me. I think we've spent we've like, spent four or five years getting our house in order quite well. Again, like Jim would know more about this than me, and might disagree. But I think we look to have been reasonably well run over the past few years, and that's going to serve us really well at the moment. I am surprised by how much transfer business we've actually done. Mm. With that Eze money. Um, I was surprised to see Willer, Kadoma. We're now getting linked with some quite expensive centre backs. Um, that speaks to me that we're actually in a better position than most clubs. And we've been saying for a few years, if we keep taking our medicine while all these other clubs are being stupid, we might actually come out of this quite well. Um, and for us to be going out and signing the players we're signing at the moment, I think we we might actually be okay. But the famous last words of club. It's as good as my yeah, usual. Yeah, and I think, I think, I think the wage <laughs> situation is the important one, and that was the big issue before. And I think that's where the club has devised a strategy that it's very stubborn on and works, whereas other clubs in the division are all over the place. And when you look at that lovely little table about how much of our turnover we spend on wages compared to others, we're actually relatively in good shape. You know, Jim, we, am I we, wrong? I feel like we're in a half decent place. Am I wrong? <laughs> I agree. No, I completely agree with you, which, you know, you might fall off your sofa. But, um, yeah, I, I think we've well run. I think, although we're still reliant on the owners putting money in every year, a bit like the, Kieran mentioned about Millwall. Um, and the, I don't think we're going to panic, Paul, in, in relation to your point, because we could have panicked at any point in the last few years, and we haven't. And I think it's more about the fact that the owners are no longer willing to chuck as much money in anyway. So, yeah, FFP was one way of influencing us. But I think more crucial to that is the fact that they don't want to do it anyway. So, you know, Benalligan's increasingly taken over in terms of control over the club and is the guy funding it more than Fernandez. But both of them have, have taken a real bath um, with AirAsia recently and everything that's gone on there. So I don't think there's any desire to start chasing the dream again. And I, I really endorse what we've been doing. Back to old school QPR, trying to develop players, sell one, pick up another five and have a go at it, you know? And I think it's right. it's what we should have been doing for the last 20 years and have failed to do. And it's, you know, it, it's a really nice model that we've got. And I think most fans who've got, you know, a little bit of knowledge will be all right with it because we're living within our means. The only sad thing that's not really happened is that the likes of Derby haven't had their wings clipped hard enough. And Sheffield Wednesday, when they've done blatant workarounds on FFP, they've not, it's not come home to roost enough, but we're relying... I think we'll be okay anyway because we're relying on wages coming down so we can compete better by being a bit smarter. And I think that's going to happen anyway with everything that's happening. You know, there's talk of a wage cap and the market anyway is going to bring wages down. So we've got our house in order. We should be better off in terms of how we compete with others. I feel like we've taken our medicine. All we need to do now is carry on with what we're doing. 
try and sell one player a year for decent money. And then a bit like Brentford, there'll come a point where we stick at it and we go, no, we're going for it. You know, and we might we might end up finishing more consistently top half. But it becomes like a virtuous circle because the higher up we get, the more we'll sell our players for. Like Brentford five years ago, selling their players for a lot less money. We'd have got more money for Eze if we were in the playoffs. You know, they got loads of money for Watkins because they can effectively turn around and say, we either keep him and probably go up and get 100 million quid from the Premier League or we sell him to you, Villa, for, but it's got to be worth our while. So, yeah, I, we agree. This is strange. I think we probably already outstayed our welcome in people's earlobes. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to move on to the I'm second any other business, any any other business section of the podcast, which is a few, I guess, international break highlights, lowlights. Um Lyndon Dyke scored again for Scotland. Well, hey, um, international goal scorer. Uh, Ryan Manning's been called up to the Ireland team. Maybe he'll play, maybe he won't. We'll find out in like now. Um, and uh, and uh, oh, no, they kicked yeah. off at five o'clock. Oh, they kicked off at five o'clock. Okay, well, we he probably didn't play then because I haven't no. seen anything on. Well, never mind all that. Like, I know what you really <laughs> want to talk about. You want to talk about Northern Ireland, Bosnia, don't you? The only thing that cheered me up in my COVID little den was watching Conor Washington step up for a penalty and absolutely shitting myself. I and saw that. <laughs> great penalty, though. So it's really weird that we might be going to the Euros again. We're just going to win a home match, which we probably won't. But it's kind of nice. And um, Lyndon Dykes is, is a hell of a signing, is he not? I mean, Jesus. Yeah, Manning played, played well. And... What's that? Sorry, Clive? Manning was an unused sub. Uh, okay, sad times. But he was in the squad anyway. Um, and uh, Ozzy Kakai was also in action. Um, any any other international highlights? McNulty was playing for the under-21s last night, but he's on loan to Lit Como. Um, and oh, he, yeah. he did play, he's living he did play it up in that glamorous life. But they did actually beat Ukraine 1-0 on under-21, so that's quite a good result. So I was interested to see him still floating around. So it's nice to see our youngsters still get an international game somewhere along the line. But I'll tell you what, I am really excited about the new team that we're putting together. I'm really looking forward to seeing Albert and the lads go out on Saturday and giving it a right go because I'm feeling strangely optimistic. Is this a bad thing? Is it a new thing? Or is it, should I be, oh, stop. Not I would say that's a bad thing good. because Bournemouth are really good and I think they're going to shit on us. But give us your prediction. Paul. I think we'll win 4-0. <laughs> wow, COVID has sent you into... <laughs> Are you hallucinating right, right now? Albert's, Are you Albert's having fever, fever sweats and dreams? Albert's going to score with his first thing, touch, do a backflip, and then Lyndon will score the second one, and the third and fourth I have decided. But I think, we, I think we'll just be so joyous, we're going to absolutely hammer them. And uh, boom, welcome to the championship. Rangers are back, that kind of thing. Uh, Clive, you don't seem like you agree. Well, I'd, I'd be interested to see what the squad looks like at the end of Friday, to be honest, because I think there still could be one or two going out. Um, and and maybe one or two coming in. We're obviously after a centre-back. We got linked with Aidan Flint last week, which I think was a genuine thing, but has died away now. I mean, that would have been the least Warburton-like signing of all time, really. Um, now being talked about getting Michael Hector on loan from Fulham, which again, would just you would never have thought that possible like a fortnight ago. So I think they're in the market. And obviously Bright is still there, still hasn't signed his contract and Bournemouth themselves are being linked with him. So it's no guarantee that he'll be here come close a business on Friday night. I think 
Smith, I think we've already spoken about, will probably go. Um, Connor Masterson, I think they'll loan out if they can get another centre-back in. Um, so I think there's still a lot to, to come in and out. It's been a busier window than I thought it what would be. What about the two keepers, Lumley and Kelly? Do you think they'll go out and just promote the uh, under-23s? I mean, we're, we're actually quite well off for keepers. Yeah, I mean, they're trying to get Kelly and Lumley out on loan, aren't they? I think the problem is other teams have probably seen them play. Uh, so that it's going to be challenging. Um, but yeah, I think they'll try and shift one of the goalkeepers if they can. Um, but yeah, Born- I don't really fancy it at Bournemouth, but I think we've got three out of four at home after that. And they're all reasonably winnable home games. Um, I mean, to be fair, Preston put four through Brentford last time. So when I say winnable, I, d- I mean, I'm not saying we will win, but... I, I just kind of want to get Saturday out of the way because I don't fancy us very much. And then let's see what these new signings do and bed in and uh, see how we go in those those three out of four home games there. I'll be interested to see. Jim? Yeah, I'm, I'm pessimistic about Bournemouth. I guess the only thing that you don't know is how much the international window will affect them. They've probably got more players out than we do. And, you know, if, if there were crowds there, you'd think, yeah, we don't fancy us that much, but you, you tend to do a bit better. But, no, I think we're going to lose 2-0 on, on Saturday. Bournemouth's yeah, also in danger of losing a lot of players close to deadline as well. I mean, they're keen to shift Brooks, although I did see Brooks get injured again um, in the uh, in the week. So th- there could be a lot of departures from Bournemouth. We don't really know what the two teams are going to quite look like on Saturday, so it's, it's hard to say. Yeah, I mean, I think we'll lose 3-0, but hey-ho. Perfect, I want this podcast um, to get cheered up after a shit couple of weeks. And all you bunch of bastards are doing is depressing me. Come on! We're going to win! Vinny, when was the, the meds, last Finn. time when was the last time anything in the year 2020, year of our Lord, was not depressing? I'm sorry, this has been the most depressing year in the history of the world. And this football situation only increases that. So, mate, you're going to be waiting a long time if you think you're going to be getting positive stuff on this podcast because it's this well, Maybe Eze and Lyndon Dykes were the were part highlights of that. But um, Play, we start playing out with happy songs. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Lift people's spirits. <laughs> um, Finney, ours end. Yes. Um, ours end is quite simple, and that is that I'm kind of. Completely, you probably covered all these things, but I'm completely confused about how we pay for watching the games and our season tickets and everything else and what's going to happen. So, I surprisingly, I'm paying for my season ticket. I know that, and then money comes off and blah blah blah. So, yeah, I hate watching it on the. I, I, don't, I, don't I, I, I guess the moral of the story is with this one: just don't worry about it unless you want the money back. And yeah. if it's if it's an away game that's not midweek, you're gonna have to pay ten quid to watch it. And if it's yeah, a 20. home game or an away game that's midweek, it'll be minus ten from credit, which will then come in at the end of the year, right? Or if, it, or if what you could do is is find a QPR fan with a big telly and stalk them. Or you could do that, maybe not while you're isolating from coronavirus, but no, my isolation's time. over today. I'm free tomorrow. I can go out tomorrow. I'm free again. So I might appear at someone's window. Clyde, <laughs> <laughs> um, that's about right, isn't it? It's basically £10 off for the home games and midweek away. And if you want to watch the other away games, you have to pay a tenner off your own back. Yes. I think it, it takes 28. Two, there's 28 games that come off your season ticket. So that's 200, 280 quid. You're basically paying off your season ticket. And then it, the other away games you pay a tenner a time for. Um, okay. Start um, with a win at Bournemouth on Saturday. 
worth that's the it. money. Um, and that's my any ours, other business. End. Any other business. Ours end. Uh, I noticed we've gone down the cardboard cutout fan route uh, to get some more revenue in. I noticed that Richard Keogh has already made his way into the lower loft. Which, <laughs> that's um, so good. That's so good. Whoever did that is a genius. I applaud them. Yes, well, so enthused by seeing it, my housemate has just paid £25 to put Ilias' chair in his fur coat in uh, the lower loft as well. So uh, watch That's out. That's a bargain. For... That's such a bargain. <laughs> watch out for the fur coat, uh, fur coat Ilias' chair in the lower loft as well. That's only, what, like um, a pound-ish for, you know, £1.50 for the rest of the home games of the season? That's worth it. It is a stupid idea. I tried to talk him out of it. <laughs> I like it, Clive. Jim, I think it's brilliant. He says Jim, he's going to take it out of rent. <laughs> I, I've done no cutouts. My only R's end is to plug the QPR lift, which I'm a huge fan of, and I've been on since I had email in about 1995. Uh, we're probably going to have to move it off Yahoo groups because it's shutting down. But yeah, I'd, I'd love more people to be on there and chatting away. Uh, yes, other good loft for words forums and other places are available. But yeah, uh, address, QPR what's lift. <laughs> what's what's the actual address for this list? Well, currently it's QPRFC at yahoogroups.com, but that's going to change. So anyway, it's, it's uh, yeah, it needs a little bit of TLC right now. So I don't I, I even know what a Yahoo group is, let alone how to join one. <laughs> no, oh, Yahoo exists, well, but it's, it's, it's like a forum, right? Yeah, it's an email goes into one place and then blasts it out to everyone else. And it's one of the oldest QPR forums. And because you have to be a real person, it's harder to troll people on there. So you generally... You don't have some of the boredom of uh, some of the other things you have to endure elsewhere. I did actually right. join once and started an argument in 15 minutes. Which <laughs> is the thing. Yes. Only you, <laughs> Finney. Only you. Um, <laughs> I'll finish up with my R's end, which is um, the club have been doing some nice sort of history pieces on some black players through the years for Black History Month. Really interesting. People I'd never heard of and I would encourage everyone to have a look at some of that's on the website and on Twitter, which is really interesting. Uh, little little snippets from the history books, um, and I think that's everything. It's been a pretty um, long episode and covered a lot, and things are going to change. I've already seen that a, a statement's just been released by the EFL, so that won't be included in today's podcast. But you can add it in as you see fit. But um, yeah, hope you enjoyed that, and um, sorry if it was too long and boring. And um, We'll find out what, what happens uh, as a result of all this money grabbing. But yeah, enjoy and see you soon.